Well, very good morning, and uh, thank you for having me to join you this morning. It's great to be with you. I hope you're all travelling well. Someone asked me at Sunshine, uh, who, who is rich today? And who do we consider to be rich in the world today? And I think, well, my answer to them was um, basically anyone living in Australia. We're, we're very rich. We're very blessed here. And so um, I think this is a bit of a wake-up call for us, this passage. Well, death is not the end. Your story continues. The great news for Christians is that our eternity is filled with the love, the joy and the peace of knowing our loving Heavenly Father. It is pictured in Revelation 21 as having no more tears, no more sadness, no pain and no death. And the most evocative image, I think, is of God coming and dwelling with his people and his people dwelling with God it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. When we know that richness of God's presence with us, we will not be in want for anything. We'll be truly satisfied when his peace and his wholeness and his love completes us. Now, God secures his salvation in that new creation for us through Jesus. Jesus, risen triumphant from the grave, shows for all to see that death is not the end. He shows his victory over death, and through that, anyone who trusts in him can come to share in that wonderful new life. So death is not the end. Your story continues. And death is not the end. The story continues, but with a twist. Death is uh, an equaliser. 100% of people die. The rich and the poor die. The powerful and the weak. We all have this in common. And while death is an equaliser, judgment is a reverser. Lazarus and the rich man are clearly not equal in life and they're clearly not equal after death. Lazarus is in the richness of God's presence while the rich man is in the poverty of God's absence. In life, the rich man lived in luxury and he was dressed in in purple and fine linen. This description speaks of the finest, most expensive purple-coloured outer garments that were, were made from expensive dye that was rare. So purple at that time was associated with, with riches and often with royalty. And the fine linen speaks of expensive undergarments. And the rich man was also among the very privileged few who had a property with gates. And while the rich man enjoyed these extravagances in life, Lazarus rotted away at his gates. See, after death, there is a reversal, and the rich man is no longer rich, and the Lazarus, the poor man, is no longer poor. But the rich man continues in the way that he had set in life. The rich man, you can see, trusted his Jewish heritage. He called out to the one he calls Father Abraham, 
the rich man believes that he should be saved because of his lineage, because of who he's related to. In Luke 3, verse 8, John the Baptist warned about this kind of misplaced faith. He said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. See, if we produce fruit in keeping with repentance, then we are turned towards God in love. We are turned away from the other things of this world. We can afford to be generous with the money and the resources that God has entrusted to us because our security is in the God who loves us and who we love, not in things. Now, the rich man does continue in the way that he set in this life. And he even thought that in this afterlife, he should be served like he was in life. He asked for Lazarus to come and help him and even addressed him by name, which is striking. Because earlier during his life, he had those dark glasses on. He couldn't even see Lazarus, although he obviously knew he existed. In, in life, the rich man was fully aware of Lazarus, but neglected him. His heart was hard towards people in need. And while Lazarus is named here, he represents all people who are neglected by the privileged. Now, the rich man could have lifted a finger to help Lazarus in this life. He could have done what he asks of Lazarus now, but he didn't. The rich man's heart was set against the poor and needy in this life. He was set against people who God loves. And that hardness of heart continued into the next life, where he still sees Lazarus as somehow beneath him, as someone like a slave who might serve him. But now the rich man finds himself in torment. And it's not just unpleasant, it is torturous. This parable isn't designed to give us an exact image of life after death. It is a warning against the dangers of riches and it's a wake-up call to trust in God now. The warning is strong because of the rich man's torment. So after death, is the rich man's torment eternal? Does he suffer in this hopeless situation forever or does it end? Well, there are different ideas about this, and I think there's a bit of ambiguity. Some theologians think the torment is eternal, and others think that those who don't repent will suffer and then be completely annihilated. But what is clear is that hell is not the imposition of a foreign punishment upon people. It is the continuity of a mad and stubborn rebellion against God. If we set our hearts against him in this life, he'll allow us to continue in that direction in the next. And what is also clear is that we don't want to go that way. If you think of God as the source of every good thing, which he is, that God is the source of love and light and connection and joy and peace, then it's clear that turning away from God leads to a complete lack of these things. No love, no light, no connection, no joy, no peace. In the rich man's life, 
he experienced all of the love and light and connection and joy and peace that he would experience. His experience in this life was the closest thing he would ever have to heaven, being in God's presence. But Lazarus's experience of this life is the closest thing he would ever experience to hell, to experiencing an absence of God. This parable isn't designed to tell us exactly what the next life is like. It's mostly a warning that our positions are set. There is a great divide set, a chasm between the two destinations and there's no crossing over from one side to the other. It could be teaching that the rich man's torment is eternal, uh, although I do have a small hope that he would be completely done away with, that the, the fire would actually consume him in the end. Now, thinking about Lazarus's experience, he was so poor that he longed for crumbs from the rich man's table. He hoped for a few measly leftovers. And Lazarus, who was probably crippled or at least so weak that he was unable to stand, he's, he's covered in sores and the dogs come and lick him. Now, I'm not a medical professional, but I'm certain that having the local pack of wild dogs coming and lick open wounds is not a way to hygienically and quickly heal. So poor Lazarus, uh, in this life, he had nothing and nobody, and he was a nobody. In the parable, he, he doesn't even speak. He's noticed by none other than God. But after death, there is a great reversal. Lazarus, whose name means God helps, is no longer poor. And God doesn't just notice him, but he blesses him richly, the opposite of all appearances on earth. This parable also hints at God's bias toward the poor. The poor man has a name, Lazarus. And Lazarus has a name and an identity. He is known and loved while the rich man is nameless. And this is a purposeful dig at the Pharisees and other rich people. The whole parable flies in the face of the Pharisees who were listening. Uh, If you look back to verse 14, it says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So death is not the end. The story continues for both the righteous and the unrighteous. And the choices that we make in this lifetime determine our standing in the next. I think key to understanding this parable is the rich man's use of the word repent in verse 30. He says, Abraham, please let someone rise from the dead to tell my family what to do so that they can avoid this torture. Then they will repent. Repentance is obviously the the prerequisite to entering heaven, to entering God's presence. And the rich man thinks that his family will turn from their, their selfish ways, from their love of money and things to live for God if only they are told by someone rising from the dead. And that's the meaning of repent, uh, to stop living our own ways, to stop treasuring the things of this earth, And to make God our greatest treasure. It means turning from our ways and living for him. 
in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it says, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And so we all need to make that choice to repent, to turn from our ways and to live for God, loving God and others. And a good litmus test of our choices is how we use our money, the money that God has entrusted to us. The way we use our money shows whether our hearts have been changed so that love for others and not luxury for ourselves is what we long for. That's one significant indicator of the the health of our hearts. Jesus challenges the wealthy to use their money generously because we are accountable before God. And so we need to ask ourselves those questions and revisit them year after year. Are we neglecting the poor? Are we neglecting those who are ill, those who are troubled? Are we neglecting any people who God loves? The way we spend our money reveals something of our treasures in this life. So we can ask ourselves, do we spend more on our own entertainment than on on ministries that help the poor and proclaim the name of Jesus? Death is not the end. The story continues and we have all the evidence we need to repent and believe in Jesus. The irony of this parable is that it says no one can cross from death to life to warn the brothers of this rich man. And yet here we are on this side of life and death and we're receiving that very warning. We also have the witness of Jesus himself who rose from the dead. So listen to him. Heed his warning. Trust in him. Make him your greatest treasure, not holding on to worldly success and riches, power, position, or even religious accomplishments. Make Jesus your treasure. While Jesus' teaching here in Luke 16 is focused on the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the powerful warning urging hearers to flee from the torments of hell is not the only thing the world needs to hear today. We also need to taste and see that the Lord is good and find that blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Death is not the end. The story continues and and today is not simply a story of how to flee from hell. It's the wonderful truth of this God who we flee towards. Repentance isn't just about turning away from sin. It is about turning to Christ It's not just about getting rid of the bad and coming to a place of neutrality. It's embracing God and loving him. In Deuteronomy, Moses calls us to love God with our heart, mind, soul and strength. And God is eminently lovable. Moses understood that God is the greatest treasure in all the world. He understood how valuable God was and sought to put him as that place in his life. He had tasted God and had seen that he was good, and we are to do the same. 
And when we experience how good God really is, then we find that nothing in this world comes close. We find that we look forward more and more to greater revelation, to going deeper with God, to falling deeper in love with him. And we delight in that great promise from revelation of God dwelling with his people, of seeing him face to face. So as I close, let me invite you to draw near to God. Death is not the end. If you come to God uh, full of, with your hands full of your own riches, success, power, uh, position and religious accomplishments, then like the rich man, you will be turned away empty. So let me encourage you to do some business with God, to spend some time in prayer, letting go of these things, all of this baggage from the world, and instead turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at his incredible love and goodness to you. Come to him empty with your hands wide open, with nothing taking the central place in your heart except Jesus himself. Look at him, set the eyes of your heart upon him, and make Jesus your obsession, the obsession and the love of your heart. And he will open, he will welcome you with arms wide open. So come like Lazarus, as a beggar to Jesus. He is the source of everything good and he welcomes sinners like you and me. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that this word from Jesus reaches to us from beyond the grave and gives us this warning of the danger of riches and of the great treasure that life with you is. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of if we repent, if we turn from the things of this life, of our selfishness and sin, and we turn to Christ, that he is more than the greatest treasure we can imagine. And so we do turn our eyes upon you, Jesus, today. We look in your wonderful face. We see your love. We see your commitment to us on the cross. We know the indwelling of your spirit as Holy Spirit you come and work in our hearts today. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in us, displace those things of this world that we make our treasures And help us to see that you are the greatest treasure of all. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.